You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. All right, uh, my, my talk today, uh, uh, Chad picked it. He usually designs these, these, these series. Um, sometimes we do it in team, but... but <clears throat> He likes to do it alone, um, and uh, it's invitation to break some rules. Um, I I don't know when God created me. He created me. I'm not very good at coloring, and I'm really bad at coloring inside the lines. And which seems to be a really good metaphor for my whole life. Like, d- d- don't draw a line in the sand because I can't help it. Even if it's my toe that goes over it, I'm just mischievous that way. I, I, I'm, I've been like that ever since I know. Invitation to break some rules. One of the primary reasons that Jesus came to this planet was to reveal to us God the Father. That was his, one of his primary jobs, one of his primary missions was to reveal to us God the Father because nothing before him really did that. Nothing before him gave us a clear picture of the Father. And he came to an orphan planet to reveal the Father because the the, the Mosaic law didn't do that. The Levitical law didn't do that. Abraham didn't do that. David didn't do that. You know, we go to Elijah and Elisha, the prophets, they didn't do that. See, the, the word of God, the scriptures inherently point. Only Jesus inherently reveals only Jesus, the nature, the character. Only Jesus inherently. So it's interesting that Jesus introduces us to a God who loves extravagantly. It's tough to find that God in the Old Testament through the, through the, through the narrative. But here we have a God that loves extravagantly. He loves you beyond your worthiness and your unworthiness. He loves you beyond your fidelity and your infidelity. He loves you in the morning sun. He loves you in the evening rain. He he loves you without caution, without regret, without limit, without boundary. He loves you. His love for you is higher and wider and deeper than you can even actually no, that you could even imagine. And that means that no matter, no, no matter how badly your life is gone, no matter, no matter how down you are, it doesn't matter how bad it got, he can't stop loving you. He won't stop loving you. He loves you as much on your best day as he does on your worst day. And some of you come in here today and sin is all over you. I mean, you're stuck. You're addicted. And you feel guilty. But he loves you. He loves you like the day you were born. He loves you. And that's the God Jesus came to to show us. And so uh, he, he revealed the love of the Father. By the way, he the why he by the way he loved, and at the same time he showed us how we can live out love in our lives. Okay, he showed us what it looks like because love touches people, religion 
that means unclean. That's true in the old, in the, in, in the you know, 2,000 years ago. For that culture, if you were, if you had a physical deformity, if you were, if you had a, an illness, like the woman with the issue of blood, if you were a leper, your religion rejected you. Today, think about the people that aren't here today because we don't want them. Think about the people that evangelicalism rejects. Think about them. Well, you know where love is right now? Love is chasing those people down. Love is pursuing those people. Love wraps its arms around those whose society throws to the curb. Jesus, he, he touched lepers and he really enjoyed eating with thugs and thieves and prostitutes. When I was a kid, I used to think, yeah, he just did that to get that in the book, you know, but he didn't like the food, you know, he didn't like the company. He, he just kind of went through the motions so he could get it in the book. But he liked it. He liked it. The food tasted good in the company of these people. It's interesting that Jesus, he constantly condemned the self-righteous religious leaders. And when they found a woman, an adulteress, this woman, she'd been an adulteress and they caught her. And obviously she was good at adultery because they know she was going to have, adult, uh, have sex with another man. And so, you know what? It's predictable. And they catch her and they humiliate her. And Jesus goes to her and what does he do? He criticizes the religious leaders. And then he has this beautiful father-daughter moment with the woman. And what does he say to her? He said, I'm not condemning you. I, I forgive you. You're forgiven. He said, no, no, no. Now, and he says, now, now go and sin no more. You know what he's saying? Girl, this isn't you. You're, you're above this, man. You're above this. Now, 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 now go, don't go back to that, okay? That's what he's saying to her. You see, every religious institution has its own set of rules. And some of those rules are, are inherited rules from the last generation. Some of those rules are just cultural rules. Some of those are filtered interpretations of scripture. Don't you think it's interesting that we read a manuscript from the Middle East and we are middle-class Canadians and we think that we know how to interpret this through our own lenses. It's a filtered interpretation. And Jesus comes to us and, and he shows us that if we'll follow his way, that, that we, will, we can live a life of love that transcends rules. When religious rules get in the way of mercy and compassion and justice, he gives us permission to break the rules. Jesus, he, he, he had a way of getting under the skin of the religious leaders because, because he, he not only did he break their rules, he broke their rule book. And they really despised him for that. And he didn't break the rules because he was being rebellious. He, he, he wanted to show us that the people were more important than the rules. And that brings us to uh, Luke chapter 10. And I'm gonna read you a parable that is probably the most well-known parable 
in the New Testament. Uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The lawyer answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But the lawyer, but he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus gave this beautiful story. He said, a man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert, of, expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What makes this story so interesting is just the dynamic between this religious lawyer, this religious uh, this expert in the law and Jesus, the interaction between them. See, th this guy is, he's a scholar. He's highly intelligent. He, he, he is intimidating to the average person because he's so bright and knows so much and is so well-trained. He's respected and he's arrogant. And when he asks Jesus the question about the law, when he's asking him this question, he's not really hungry for an answer. He's hungry for a debate. He wants a, a theological jousting match. That's why. There's really no sincere sense of I want to get closer to God and I want to understand his words. It's let's see, let's do this, you and me. Let's, let's have some fun. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't take offense He's not put out. And he asks what is written in the law and the scholar answers the question perfectly. He puts together the two great commands to love God and to love your neighbor. It's the same answer Jesus would have given if he was asked the question. He puts together these two commands are the summation of 613 Jewish laws that were heaped up on the people. They're fulfilled in these two commands. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. But there is a giveaway in verse 29. And it says the scholar wanted to justify himself. And so he asked, who's your neighbor? He's not seeking God. He's not wrestling for truth. 
He wants to win. He wants to look good in this debate. He, 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 this is about him. This isn't about the law. This isn't even about Jesus. But Jesus had a way of getting under the skin of self-important religious people. And he tells this beautiful story about the Samaritan. But the story, as beautiful would be for you and I, it was absolutely irritating to this, to this Jewish scholar. Because the Samaritans were outright enemies of the Jews. The Jews saw that Samaritans were too impure, too polluted, to actually rank as worthy beings. That was their low view of them. So when Jesus takes the despised guy, Jesus takes the bad guy and makes him the hero in the story, I'm telling you, this, this scholar, he's going, he's blowing circuits going, this, no, 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 that, that's, that's not a good story. That, 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 I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't even go there. He's not making his own religion the hero, he's making the other religion the hero. And in the story, the man who is mugged, he's coming down from the temple, which tells you the other three people were going up to the temple. And the, and the priest and the Levite, you know what, they, they, were, they, were going, they were probably going to serve in the temple. They were probably going to work. And they had to maintain a certain amount of ritual purity. And so you can't touch a dead body and apparently you can't touch a half dead body or else you become ritually impure. And then you can't go to work. And so they're not bad guys, they're just practical guys. And so they walk around this guy because they have religious work to do. And the Samaritan himself comes upon this person and this guy goes all out. Like I'm thinking, you know, first of all, he doesn't just make sure he's alive. He bandages him. He gives ointment on his wounds. You know what? He puts a naked guy on his own donkey and he takes him into town. He rents him a motel. He takes care of him while he's there and then he pays the innkeeper for extended care. Like who does that? That's not me. God, I, I'm... If, if, if that was the criteria for heaven, I'm going to hell. I, I'm out because I, I get busy in life, you know? I'm always too busy to stop for the guy that's got a flat tire. My wife, on the other hand, hoy vey, she, 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 she stops for everybody. She stops for everything. If, if she sees an animal that's limping, she wants to catch it, pick it up, and find, take it to the vet. When we were in Mexico, you know, a snake, a water snake washed up on shore. Must have got hit by a boat or something. And she goes and rescues it. I'm going, honey, God just told me, leave it alone. <laughs> it will bite you. You know what? And she, she, what do you call those things? Stingray pulled up, washed up on shore. And everybody's standing around. My wife pushes through the whole crowd, picks the thing up and throws it. I said, you could die. Leave it. Come read. Come. Your drink is melting. Come. I am not this guy. Maybe that's why I'm a minister. Because I walk around. You know what? I got a Bible study to lead. You know, I'm going to take care of that. You know, I, I'm, yeah, so uh, that doesn't make me look very good, does it? Um, 
the, the Samaritan demonstrates, he, he demonstrates extravagant compassion. And Jesus is drawing a great picture of how to define a neighbor. He said, this is the great command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is showing us is who our neighbor is. God defines neighbor by compassion in action. He defines neighbor by love in action. Notice he doesn't define neighbor by people who agree on their own on theology. He doesn't define neighbor by, by people that you can agree on more things than you can disagree on. Neighbor is defined by love and compassion in action, but it goes even one step further. It goes beyond doing good things. You see, people the way he did, why he fed them, why he taught them, why he died for them, it's because when he looked at them, he saw that they were sacred. He saw that they were sacred. And to truly love your neighbor, you must see their sacredness. Is it possible the only difference between those who are your neighbor and those who are not are the people that you refuse to see sacredness in? Because when you can see it, nothing matters. Their orientation doesn't matter. Their faith doesn't matter. They are now your neighbor. When you can see sacredness in them. And we must learn to see Christ in other people. We have to learn as people. And, and, and if you don't, then, then somehow your charity becomes demeaning. If you, if, if, if you don't see sacredness in people and you're doing things because they are sacred, your charity diminishes the dignity of another person. But if you can see Christ in that person, if you can see their sense of sacredness and then you serve them and you honor them, you never go away feeling holier than thou. And what, what a terrific human being I am. Wow, the world needs me. You never do that. You go away feeling honored that you got to serve Christ. You get honored that you got to be in that moment and experience presence, his presence in that moment. Um, I read uh, 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 an article this week that was really quite shocking. And in, its, in the end, it was really quite beautiful. I, I learned that uh, witchcraft is alive and well in Uganda today. And the practice of ritual killing and human sacrifice is also alive and well in Uganda still today. It's estimated that 3,000 children a year are abducted in Uganda, mutilated and killed as part of human sacrifices. And witch doctors make an awful lot of money doing this, and that's why they do it. And the reason this terrible practice has gone, has gone unpunished for so long in that country is because the highest courts, judges, lawyers are terrified of the demonic power that these witch doctors have. And so they've done nothing. Nobody touches it. Just a few years ago, Uganda convicted their very first witch doctor of human sacrifices. 
and, and, and the witch doctor's name was Kabi. And he was convicted on one case, but he was guilty of, he admitted that he had done this hundreds of times. And the reason that he was tried, and the reason he was convicted is because of a guy by the name of Bob Goth. Bob Goth is a Christian lawyer in, 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 from the United States. And Bob Goth wasn't afraid of the demonic power because he knew that he was living and walking under the power of the Most High. And he, he, he also has a, a charity that does a lot of child ad, advocacy work in Uganda and other, other countries. And he actually personally experienced, came to know a young boy who escaped Kabi in the middle of one of these sacrifices. The boy was left mutilated. Um, and he told the story. And Bob Goth realized that with this child's testimony, they could, they could actually sentence, try and sentence this witch doctor, which, which they did. It took a long time to find a judge who would try the court case because, again, of, of fear. And Kabi was uh, found guilty and was sentenced to 50 years in prison. And the news of this went across the country that now Ugandans didn't have to be afraid anymore. And, after, and this was a precedent-setting case. This was a precedent-setting conviction. And Bob and his, and his company of lawyers, they are there still charging and convicting witch doctors who've committed these kinds of crimes. You see, Bob is the consulate general for the Republic of Uganda. He was given this title because of the work he's done in Uganda. And he travels back and forth to the country many, many times a year. And after Kabi was convicted and put in prison and, and, and there was a sense of relief and accomplishment knowing that this was now going to, uh, the, the, the courts saw that they could do this and, and, and survive. He said that he was, he was really pondering the words of Jesus when Jesus said, you know, that we are to love our enemies. And, and, and he thought, what does that look like? How do I love a, a monster like Kabi? How do I love that? What would that look like? Practically, what would that look like? And this idea just was really couldn't get it out of his head. And so on one of the trips back to Uganda, he phoned the warden of the prison. He said, can I visit Kabi? And uh, the, the, the warden said, absolutely not. Nobody, absolutely nobody gets in here to see him. Um, and then Bob said, well, would it help if you knew that I was the, um, that I was the consulate, I keep messing up this, the consulate general for the Republic of Uganda? Would it, would it help if I had that title? He goes, come on in. And uh, and Bob sat with this monster and he listened to his anger and he listened to his disdain and he listened to his pain. And he visited him every time he went to Uganda. And at one point in time, he, Kabi told him about how he got into witchcraft and how it had taken over his life and turned him into somebody he never wanted to be. And one day, Kabi said to Bob, you know, he said, I'm gonna die in this, in this hole I'm gonna die in this prison, I know that. But he said, there's one thing I would like more than I would like freedom, and that would be forgiveness for the things that I've done. 
And Bob continued to meet with him, listen to him. And something really beautiful happened. Bob had the opportunity to lead Kabi into a relationship with Christ. And Bob said that the, 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 the new creation, the, 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 he, he began to become a, a human being that, that he was created to be. Bob went back again and again to visit with him. And at one time, he asked the warden, he said, has anybody ever shared the gospel with all of the men on death row? There's 3,000 men on death row. He said, has anybody ever come in here to share the gospel? And, and the warden said, I told you before, nobody gets in here. And Bob said, well, Kabi, he lives here. Can he do it? And the warden gave him permission to do it. And so one day, they brought 3,000 men into the courtyard there. Everybody knew who Kabi was. And Kabi shared the gospel badly, terribly. I mean, he, it was a swing and a miss. It, it, like, he got it all mixed up. But, but, he, but, but he, one thing he did get straight was forgiveness that you can find in Christ and the grace that God has for us. Maybe the other thing they got right is that everybody, every one of those guys knew exactly who Kabi was. And every one of them knew that the guy standing beside him holding his hand was the lawyer that put him in prison. And that message was so loud and clear that, that about 100 guys came forward and said they wanted to follow Jesus, if that's what that looks like. It gets a little weirder and talk about breaking some rules. Bob became friends with an ex-witch doctor. And the ex-witch doctor had a heart for the witch doctor community, which I guess they exist, that he came from. And together they came up with a plan how we could get the gospel to them. So Bob started a witch doctor school. He started a school for witch doctors. Not to teach them witchcraft, to teach them how to read. And Christians began to be the teachers and the influencers. There's only two textbooks. One is the Bible, and the other is a book that Bob Goth wrote. It's called Love Does, which, by the way, is an amazing book. And these are the two books that every, all these witch doctors are using to read and to learn how to read. And that's been going on now for several years. And Bob got a phone call not long ago while he was in the United States in the middle of the night, two witch doctors were very upset, very anxious. They said, we just heard about a, a plot, a plan to abduct a child. And, and we don't know what to do. What do we do, Bob? Tell us what to do. And he said, go get the child. Take him to his family. And you stay with them and you protect them. That's what you do. And so later on, the next day, he gets a, an email. The child is safe. The parents are safe and we're becoming good friends because that's what love does. When you get a divine perspective on each other, we can celebrate who you are without stumbling over who you're not. You can begin to celebrate people once you see their sacredness and you don't get all bent out of shape for what they're not and what they can't bring to the table. And when you see the sacredness in people and only when you see their sacredness and you connect with them, can you bring them back to their sense of identity? 
And that's exactly what Bob Goth did with Kabi. That's exactly what Jesus did with that woman that was caught in adultery. He said, I'm not condemning you. And he saw our sacredness and he called to it and he spoke to it. And that's what Jesus does. That's the Jesus that comes to you and the Jesus that comes to me. He doesn't come condemning us. He comes looking at the intrinsic beauty that we have and we hold and we walk in. And he pulls on that and he calls us to that. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. I'll tell you one more story. I heard this story my first year as a youth pastor. That's how old it is. Uh, Tony Campolo is, 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 is just an amazing, amazing communicator. The, he too is a guy who colors outside the lines a lot. But I think that's why he's so effective in his ministry and his work. He's a, a philosophy professor. And he talked about the day he was walking down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, downtown Philadelphia. And he said, and I, I could see a man staggering towards me. And he said, even from a distance, I could see that his clothes were filthy. And he had layer upon layer of clothes on. And he staggered towards me. And then he stopped and he shot his head off to the right and started screaming at somebody that wasn't even there. And then started walking. He said, it seems like he saw me. and He started to hone in on me. And he's walking towards me carrying a cup of McDonald's coffee. Tony said that the, the, the rim where, he would, where his lips had touched the coffee were black from the filth on his face. And the guy walks up to Tony and says, hey, mister, the, want a drink of a coffee? Do you want to share my coffee with me? And Tony knew that he did not. Um, <laughs> But he also knew in that moment that the right thing was to affirm the man's generosity. And so he took the cup, turned it around, held his breath and took a tiny sip of coffee just to engage the man. And he said to the man, he said, you're, uh, you're being very generous with your coffee this morning. What's gotten into you? And, 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 and the street person said, well, you know, this morning the coffee was especially good. And, and when something, when God gives you something good, you really, you really ought to share it. And he goes, wow, that's really nice. I suppose you want me to share something with you. And he goes, yep. And so Tony, he's already reaching for his wallet to pull out $10 because he knows how this game goes. And, and, and the guy says, I, I, I want a hug. Tony said, I'd rather give him my whole wallet than give him a hug. It was a new suit. And... Uh, and so Tony, this is weird, it's awkward. He puts his arms around the man and the man gives him this bear hug. And they stand there for over a minute and that's when Tony realized he's not letting go. And he was embarrassed because people were looking at him and, and all of that, but he just decided I'll just stay here in this moment, not because I want to, just because he's not letting me go. You know what? And he stayed there long enough when all of a sudden the embarrassment took a back seat to the fact that he realized what was happening. Jesus knew one of these men needed a hug today and it wasn't the street person. 
And Tony said, tears started running down my face. And in his own way, this street person introduced me to myself. This, this own, the street person in this moment, he said, I felt God's presence. He said, it's, it's like, it's like he reminded me of who I am. And I realized that I'm loved. And it became an incredibly beautiful moment for him. He had to get his suit dry clean, but it was a really beautiful moment. Mother Teresa said this, at the end of life, you'll not be judged by your diplomas or your money or the great things that you've done. You'll be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. And in the world that most of us live in, people are not only hungry for human dignity, and they're not homeless because they want a room of bricks. They're homeless because they've been rejected. When I think about the people who are not in this building because they know we don't like them or they believe we don't like them, I think we need to grow people. I, I, I think that you're group of friends needs to grow. It needs to grow and expand to people that you don't understand. Grow and expand to people that don't believe what you believe. Grow and expand because the only thing that limits you being a neighbor to everyone is your inability to choose to see sacredness in them. And we have to stretch and we have to grow. Because then we become instruments, we become vessels, we become children that God can love through. And Jesus is just waiting to be encountered by the person that calls you their friend, their neighbor. Amen? Let's pray together. Can, can we stand together? Jesus, you... Um, some of us walked in here sinners. Some of us walked in here and we got so much junk and sin and crap in our lives that we feel guilty being here. And you love us. You love us so purely and deeply like, you, like the day we were first born, you love us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to grow and expand our sphere of influence. Help us to see people who are different than we are and help us to see their sacredness and help us, Jesus, as a, as a people to step into opportunities and moments with your heart and your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.